0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today in Town Packers podcast. My name is Griffin. You can follow me on Instagram, at Packers, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Braun, who you can follow on Instagram, at Lambo.Leapers, and we are coming back to you with another podcast after another Packers loss. This is getting real old, Braun. Four in a row, four weeks in a row, I've started a podcast with, I think, that exact
1: phrase, word for word. How are you, Braun? Are these losses getting any easier for you? They're not getting any easier, and they're certainly not getting any more fun, um... But other than that, Griff, I'm fantastic. <laughs> fun is the the last word I would use. God, man.
0: Remember when Sundays used to be fun? Remember when Sundays were something to look forward to? Now Sundays have turned into the day that the Packers lose. That's just what they do now on Sundays. So four losses in a row. We lose to the Buffalo Bills, 27-17. I think some people, I think including myself, a lot of people expected this loss to be much worse. And I think the Packers showed a lot of good things, but... A loss is a loss and in the NFL in week eight when you're three and five a loss is a very bad thing for this Green Bay Packers team because now they are three and five and they're looking in the mirror and Minnesota keeps on winning football games Minnesota's six and one now NFC North looks like it's almost out of the question now it looks like now we're going to be looking at those last three spots in the NFC playoffs those five six seven seeds the wildcard spots and that's not something that we really anticipated coming into this season but it's kind of where we are now because we keep losing ball games, And we got another game coming up this week against the the Detroit Lions, who have one win on the year. And it's going to be a chance to correct ourselves. But, man, another week where I'm asking myself, how good is this team? How, how good do you think they are, Bron? Do you think they're a better team after watching that performance against the Buffalo Bills?
1: I think that what Aaron Rodgers showed and the, the combination of our, our ability to run the football was very encouraging but then the way the defense played at times you, you you're starting to realize that some of these guys that they were relying on to be very good have just not been good enough and that's and they've been very good in the past and for some reason these guys just are not playing well so i don't know how good they really are or i i don't know it's hard to say i, I just don't think that they're as bad as having four... They started out 3-1, and one and we've just been on this downslide. Four in a row is, like, unheard of in Green Bay. Losing four in a row, three in a row, was pretty unheard of. And especially under this regime of Matt LaFleur and even Brian Gutekunst, four in a row is just, like, absolutely new territory for Green Bay. I feel like having Aaron Rodgers play at the level that he has the past two weeks should win them more football games going forward. The running game that we have established, I think, in this Bills game was something that we need to definitely lean on moving forward as well. But the defense has to start playing better and more opportune times, I think, as well. They need to start putting those things together so we can kind of be a little more complimentary when we're really playing well on offense, kind of also have to play well on defense too. That way we can start putting more points on the board early and then avoid having to come back late because when we have to do that, it seems like the offense starts to turn it on, but then the defense can't get those stops at the right time. Complementary
0: football. That's one of the biggest things that the Packers have not done this season. It's one of the biggest reasons why they suck right now. And Rodgers kind of talked about after the game how the winning formula may be starting stronger on offense early on in games so that the defense... They can play more one-dimensional, he called it. They don't have to worry about the run as much. They can start playing the pass. And that's how that was our formula for the past two years when we had the best offense in the league in 2020 and 2021. And in this game, you know, I saw a lot of good on offense. We only scored 17, so it's hard to get super excited. But I did see a lot of good, man. We we ran the ball 30 times, which is crazy. Because coming out of the Washington game where everyone was saying that they, they have to run the ball more, including myself, it's crazy that they actually committed to that game plan and made that clear that that was their game plan. Well, I don't know if that was actually their game plan coming into it because Christian Watson going down, I think Matt LaFleur and Rodgers both indicated that that made them kind of have to change things a lot. Um, but... They ran the ball nonetheless, and it was very effective. The problem was they were down 17 points. So you can chalk that up to maybe the Bills were letting us run, because we always talk about that, Braun. Like when we were playing the Bears week two, the Bears were running all over us, but it's also like, okay, go ahead, you're down 10 points, fields can't throw, so who cares if you're able to run, right? And maybe that was a similar thing by the Bills defense, just letting us run it because we're... Okay, we're gaining positive yards. We're gaining 7 yards a carry, but we're also taking 10 minutes off the clock when we're down when we're down 17 points. So, the thing is that that I do think that that is the best way we're going to be able to find success because this offensive line say what you want about their pass protection, but they were open up opening up lanes in the running game. They really were. And Matt LaFleur was calling some really elaborate run schemes beyond just standard Madden inside zone. He was calling a lot of counters and trap plays. And our guys on the offensive line, they're pretty athletic. And when they can get into space, they can move some people. Especially when the Bills are playing us on defense how they were. You know, they're only putting seven in the box or six in the box. So I think that is the best thing that we do on offense, considering the, the weapons that we have around Aaron Rodgers. And we're going to get more into the weapons later on. But I think that's the most effective thing we do on offense. The problem is we were down 17. But if we can come out like that earlier on in a game, which I think we will given the success that we had last night, I think that that's going to be a much better game flow for this team. Let's just say.
1: I think that was probably Matt Lafleur's best called game of the season, for me. I also I would think agree with it was, that. I, I think totally. right. I feel like Packers fans mostly would agree, and it's not just because they ran the ball thirty times. Because as you as you know, Griff, I'm not you know I'm not one of those people that's pounding the table saying we need to start running the ball more often. But I think. It had mostly to do with the fact that the play calls that were being set forth were being executed, and they were very creative. Things we haven't seen from LaFleur, including what it didn't work, but we had a flea flicker opportunity. There were some very creative run designs, like you mentioned. Things even in the passing game that guys were open, and that's impressive because we don't have a great group uh, of talent at the receiver position, so you know that that had to be the case. And to me, I just thought, Matt, although there are some decisions I definitely questioned, and I, I told, I've told i told you about those, Griff, during those games that we've seen uh, these last four weeks now, including on Sunday, I had mentioned some things to you as well, but... Overall, this was, I think, his best game as as a play caller for sure.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I've called out his play calling numerous times this season. Last week, I called him out for just calling the same quick passing plays over and over again. You know, quick slants, stick, over and over and over again. Bubble screens, always, constantly attacking the flats. It was getting real old, and I feel like he knew it because... He came. He dug and he dug deep into his bag this week, man. You remember that like the middle screen to Christian Watson, the play he got hurt. That play was amazing, man. I love that play. There was a sweep to the outside on the left side. On the left side, um, Aaron Jones sweep and like Romeo's running a an end around behind him, and he fakes the pitch back to him, and he causes yeah. the corner who was. I put this on my story. The corner who was manning up on Romeo on that play totally did a double take and he's running with Romeo while Aaron Jones who has the ball is running right by him that was a pretty funny play that play only went for like two yards but still you have to credit Matt LaFleur for the uh the play design and the flea flicker also that was also funny because even on a flea flicker we've got no one open
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah so that lack of horizontal movement with the ball when we're and mostly in the passing game it's just refreshing to see them do a little more downfield stuff at least when you're looking at the middle of the field you know it, it was a lot more just yardage being gained attempted yardage I, I just think a lot of the times they're throwing too many balls at the line of scrimmage or there're too many run plays that are basically behind the line of scrimmage that they they start behind basically and and they're asking these guys to do things when the Bills players and other other teams we've we've played these past few weeks, then they get to start swarming, and, and then we're losing yardage on a lot of plays. The, that's been happening to us quite often in these last few weeks, but I think Matt LaFleur did a good job of trying to move the ball down, you know, downhill a little bit more as opposed to sideline to sideline. But the one thing, Griff, that, and I would, you know, I'll ask you this question of why you think we lost this game, but to me, when you look at what went wrong, Matt Lafleur, the one drive in the third quarter, and, and this was coming after the Bills, um, after the Bills kicked a field goal and we were down by 17. And this is in the third quarter. We do one. We have another drive where we ran the ball, a lot. Maybe maybe a double digit times. Barely threw the ball. And this is when we're down three scores, knowing we have to score three times, and get multiple stops against the Bills in order to just tie the game and yet he continues to run the football and run the football when we're talking about there's 10 minutes left in the third quarter. Now there's four minutes left in the third quarter, and by the time they finish this drive, it's close to the end of the third, and they are still not in a position to where they feel like they've got a shot. And I get that there's a whole other quarter remaining, but they took way too much time off the clock. That was very poor time management, I think, from Matt LaFleur. The clock is an important part of winning, and you need to be able to not only—because when you look at the, uh, the statistics from the game, we had a stronger time of possession than the Bills did. But in the end, that didn't do us any good because the Bills were scoring at will quite quickly, and we were putting together these long drives, and they weren't always ending in points. So that's the main issue, and I think that may have cost us an opportunity because I think they they should have gotten to the stuff that Rodgers was doing off schedule, the hurry-up, that two-minute drive type stuff where Rodgers can kind of take control, and we saw him let it loose, make a bunch of plays, throw multiple touchdowns in those environments, and I said this last week, Griff, after Rodgers said, and I've been saying it because it seems like our only offensive success in the passing game is when Rodgers goes off script and makes a play on his own off schedule and now he extended plays in the fourth quarter and we saw how great that was this week they should have got to that stuff earlier they should have tried to hurry up they should have had that urgency it almost felt like they were resigned to their fate and didn't even want to fight for it until Rodgers started making those plays that got them back in the game because now we're sitting there and we took all this time off the clock and we were running it well sure but it was just too much time gone and that was valuable, and, and because of that, I felt like we that was one very large reason why we didn't have a chance to come back and win that game.
0: Yeah, I, I texted you in the middle of one of those drives, I think it was the last one of the third quarter, I texted you like, they are just taking way too long right now. God, can you just hurry up and get to the line? It's not even a problem with them running it, but can we just get up to the line quicker than th- right now? Like, Oh my god, Aaron, what are you running down the play clock for? You, it's a run play. Just snap it. Just give it to Jones. Why are we taking so long? That was really annoying. But the, the plays in or the drives in question right here is we, we open the third quarter with the ball. We go eight plays, four minutes and 40 seconds off the clock. You know, not too bad. Not too bad. But that's the drive that ends with a touchdown offensive pass interference and then we end up kicking a field goal so then we the bills get the ball they kick a field goal we get the ball back this is the drive you're talking about braun 11 plays only 48 yards and we took six minutes and 47 seconds off the clock oh my gosh oh my god we got the ball back with 559 left in the third and our last play was run with 14:12 left in the fourth god man we're we're down 27 to 10 right now we're down 27 to 10 Get up to the line, man.
1: (laughs) This is why we struggle in games, because Matt LaFleur consistently makes mistakes like that. And whether it's, we talked about, when they're benching Royce Newman, and Jake Hansen gets hurt, and then they put Royce Newman back in. I mean, that's just, that's a defeated player you're throwing back into the game.
0: And that's even funnier now, because Jake Hansen is hurt, Royce Newman's healthy, Elton Jenkins goes down in this game, can't play, and Zach Tom's the one who steps in. So going back two games ago to the Jets game, it's really funny that they put in Hansen when Royce gets benched. Hansen
1: gets hurt, and then Royce goes back in like you've got Zach Tom sitting right there. And now they've got Zach Tom in. It's just like, first of all, why is it so difficult? And then everybody's, here's another thing. Matt LaFleur is blindsided when David Bakhtiari can't go. Why don't you have your players prepared to come into the game? Why are you not preparing Zach Tom? Like, if David can't go, they know up leading up into this game he was questionable. Why are they blindsided? Oh, my goodness, we didn't expect that he wasn't going to play. Zach Tom... Yeah, you're and, talking and about Hale... last
0: week. We, we didn't even right. talk about that last week when Bakhtiari, surprise, can't play.
1: Exactly, right? So, that's a big that was a big issue, right? They're so blindsided. Okay, that's fine. I get it. Because he had been playing. Maybe they thought it was just a little discomfort, whatever. They should be preparing these guys, Zach... You need to be ready to start, and we're ready for you to start. But instead, they're blindsided. It changes their whole offense. They have to start. Why are they not prepared for that? You go into this game. Elton Jenkins has a foot injury. He's questionable. Be prepared for the fact that he may not play, especially with how conservative they are as a medical staff. You'd think Matt LaFleur would not be so shocked and blindsided by the fact that a questionable player couldn't go. Why are they all of a sudden now so terrified and so scared? I mean, yes, put Zach Tom in. But, like, again, why is it Zach Tom as opposed to a guy like Royce Newman when it was Royce Newman just o- over two weeks ago? What's changed since then? Because we we've had an entire training camp and an entire multiple weeks of football to see that, A, Royce Newman is terrible, and B, Zach Tom is rather good compared to him, yet we put Royce Newman in after Jake Hansen got hurt, and we put Jake Hansen in over Zach Tom in the first place. Yeah, which Hansen going in in the
0: first place was head-scratching.
1: So what's changed in the last two weeks that's made Matt LaFleur feel like Zach Tom is better than Royce Newman when he felt like J- Jake Hansen might have been better than Royce Newman, but Zach Tom wasn't? This is the thing. Like, what I don't get the logic. The decision-making is poor. He makes irrational decisions. I don't think the floor has done a great job this year at all. And I think he's very knowledgeable about the game. You watch his press conferences, and he describes things very well at times about their process and, and what what's going through the team's mind through certain situations, whether it's on offense or defense, rationalizing some of the things that many fans and even the media have concerns about. But then you look at some of these decisions, and you're still puzzled by them. And we're losing a lot of these games because of the things that he's doing. I should say some of the things that he's not doing as well, that are very much hurting this team. And I can see why um, a lot of people don't see it because they're very minute details of the game. But they're very clear to us, Griff, and I. I feel like they should be clearer to these fans too that are blaming a lot on Aaron Rodgers. And some of the other things that are going on, I feel like Matt Lafleur has a large hand in some of these losses for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still pretty high on Matt. I think he's one of the better coaches in the league. Still, again, I
1: always this have to, I, I always do this, Griff. I always say all these things bad about Matt. I, I really like Matt as a coach. I, I think he's great. There's, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that he's bad. It's just he's been bad. I feel like he, you know, these things never are an issue when we're winning, because yeah, I know. Yeah, these, it's the, these the things thing aren't that- happening. But he's, he's never he's gone through He's this crunched, Griff. He has crunched in these big moments, in, in these games where we need to go and get a win. He has just not shown up as a coach, as a play caller. I felt like this was the first game where he stepped up to the plate as a play caller. But then he goes and has that ridiculous, like, he, he's almost scared to stop running the ball because he's going to get crushed for it in the media if he does, right? But no, actually, we're trying to win a game. This isn't about saving face in the media. You need to start throwing the football when we're down by 17 late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. But he wanted to just keep running it. To me, that's that feels like I don't want to displease these people who have been yelling at me to run the ball all, every week, all week. And now we run the ball too much because that he's almost scared to to not to stop, and that's that's one of those things like you have to be convicted as a leader and, and do what's best for the team and and not just do something because it's it's what people want to see. Well, I think that running the ball was the best thing that we were doing in that game. I, I don't have an issue with running the ball. I have an issue with you the do, tempo. You do when we're de- no, I have an issue with running it then too because we saw what passing looked like in the fourth quarter. This is what I wanted to get to all game, Griff. I had been saying going into this game, Rodgers needs to get sa- get outside of the pocket, play off schedule, extend plays, let him try to carry this team. And by the time they started doing that and letting Rodgers get to some of his stuff, it was too late. If they did that in the third quarter... But I, I don't
0: think that it's a guarantee that if we started doing that in the middle of the third quarter, it would go very well. Because did you see
1: the passing offense in the first quarter? It was trash. They were, Griff, he wasn't getting outside the pocket at that time. Okay, and so you said saying what I he needed to run a 2016-style offense. Yes, that was Griff. I literally said those words going into this game. They need to let him do some things off schedule. They need to let him try to carry this offense because the receiving talent's just not good enough to do anything in rhythm. And Matt, Matt impressed me very early on because we were getting some things done in rhythm against a pretty really solid defense even. But to be able to consistently score on a defense like that you need to start doing things Aaron's way because he is the only person that's going to be able to get us out of that hole of 17 points. Griff, it doesn't matter. Maybe it wouldn't have gone well, but I would rather let the ball be in Aaron's hands there trying to win the game than just having, yes, we're running the ball well, but it's taking too much time off the clock, and guess what happened, Griff? Because we ran the ball and we continued to run the ball, that was a big reason why we lost. That was a very big reason why we lost. They, they yeah, started drive was- too late.
0: That drive was the nail in the coffin right there, because we go 11 plays, we take almost seven minutes off the clock, and we don't even get past the Buffalo at 25, and we turn over on downs. So, so then Aaron think, Jones runs stuff up the middle on fourth and one, which was not one of Matt's best play calls in my opinion, but it's been it's what he was doing that entire drive, so it makes
1: sense that he called that play. So Griff, don't you think then, maybe they should have tried to throw the ball a little earlier? Because we know what the outcome was of them running the ball like that continuously going into the third, even the fourth quarter. Don't you think they should have thrown it? I mean, in hindsight, it's pretty obvious because they came out and lost by 10. So, I mean, the only scenario to me that makes sense is you do go back and try to throw the ball earlier if you're Matt LaFleur. You let Aaron Rodgers get outside the pocket. Let these guys try to make plays. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And then we saw it. It started working. Samari does the right thing. On an off-schedule play, Samari works with Aaron and gets that big, big touchdown. And then Romeo, I know Romeo can do some of those things if he just gets a few more reps. We just haven't been doing it enough in games for these guys to be able to do it. I thought Romeo played really well in some of those big spots. And Amari has shown that he can do some of these things too. And Tunyon has been reliable in those scenarios as well, even though they've been limited. I just feel like they'd be better off doing a little less thinking and a little more instinctual stuff when these young guys are really trying to be perfect at all times, I think sometimes you got to let them just play football. And it's a little, like, people always used to describe Aaron in 2016 as it was always backyard football, it was draw it up in the dirt, whatever. But I feel like sometimes it's the easiest thing for these young guys to just be out there, feel their instincts, and not have to think about being perfect all the time and running the offense, which is very complicated, and it's, it's a very sophisticated offense that relies a lot on knowing where to be at all times and even knowing what the what the other guys around you have to do. I feel like it would be better for these guys to just maybe focus a little bit more on the instinctual part of the game, that human element. When you're in the middle of the field and Aaron's rolling to his right, know how to get open. And some of those things we saw. But again, too little too late at that point even though Rodgers probably, I think, 100% had his best game of the year and he looked like the MVP of the NFL in that game and he outplayed Josh Allen as well, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think there's merit to that, I do. But um, in hindsight, my, my first correction would be just running with a little bit more tempo because the running offense, there's no denying it was working. They were getting 5, 6 yards, 10 yards a pop, you know? We had some big runs in there. But the problem is we're taking 30, 35 seconds, 40 seconds off the play clock between every play when we're down 17 points. That was just infuriating.
1: Get up well, to the, the line, Griff, man. Come on. It's not, but so, yeah. you keep saying, Aaron, get up to the line. Aaron, get up to the line. He's got to get the play call from Matt, and then he's got to get it to his guys. I mean, that's the thing. Like, these are very sophisticated play calls. Plus, they're all designed, we talked about this, Griff, every play that they throw out has multiple options within the play so they can get the ideal play call based on the defensive look so if they're going to hurry up, they can't just run the ball because what if the Bills start loading the box or they show a blitz blitz heavy look or that you know whatever, something that is going to make it difficult for them to run they can't just go up there and run it like that because the way that this offense is run where th- and the only time they can hurry up is when Aaron is going to be able to just start calling things off his wristband and they're going to throw the football but when they're running the ball like that, they don't have the opportunity to just run up and, and run it because they, Matt LaFleur wants to get the perfect play call against the look that he's seeing. In order to do that, you have to kind of settle down, get the look, take the play call all the way down, and let Aaron decide what's best based on the defensive look, and then they run it, and then they hope it's... You know what I mean? That's that's the way this offense works. That's the design of this offense. Yeah, if you I have know an that. issue with I, that, I know that's... That. I know you know that, Griff, but if you have an issue, that's, that's a why LeFleur we have issue.
0: no. That's why we have no no-huddle offense. In the past three years, it just doesn't exist. I, at some point in every single loss in the past three years, I've been thinking at some point in every single one of those games, can we just try some tempo? Can we see what happens?
1: And that's predicated on Aaron being able to, he can then go off the wristband, shout out number two, number four, throw up a hand signal to guys running routes like we saw at the end of the game there in that fourth quarter when it started working. Even that was a little slow. You know, because they do want to. Uh, these guys are inexperienced. It's like it all ties together to create the yeah. Aaron had storm to like, like give every
0: single receiver an individual route on all of those tempo plays at the end.
1: And that's oh that's God, a bro. perfect storm of why we are in this mess, Griff. Because of I all told these you, little things.
0: Last night, my favorite play of the game is in that in that last drive where we were going tempo, and they're running up to the line, no huddle. Aaron's giving every single receiver on the field a different a different route to run, and I think it's Samari Torre on his right side on the on the boundary. And he's giving him a he's given him a play to run. He gets the snap, takes a five step drop, and just throws it out of bounds immediately. And Chris Collinsworth is like, why wouldn't you just spike it? And I think, my theory is that he told Samari through his hands, you know, it's loud, he can't really hear what he's saying, he's trying to communicate to Tore like what to do, and then Tore probably just did the wrong thing. And he's like, you know what? Nope, I'm not doing this. I'm just throwing this one away. <laughs> that is just so funny of this this offense trying to coordinate some no huddle stuff. Because they just never do do it man they never do it but in the past three weeks Rodgers going off schedule Rodgers getting outside the pocket no huddle tempo that has been by far their most productive offense even going back all the way back 100 years ago to the New York Giants loss in London at the end of that game where we got stopped on fourth and two inside the 10 that was our best drive in like 30 minutes of that game and we were going no huddle tempo the drive the drive right before the end of the first half against the Jets that was a really good drive that we got our first points of the game on that drive and every single one of these losses our our best our best offensive production other than the success we had on the ground against Buffalo has been Rodgers getting outside the pocket and he said we, we, if you didn't listen to the preview show, we spent a lot of time talking about Rodgers getting outside the pocket and how that's going to be something that he wants to do moving forward. Early on in this game, I was surprised with the lack of that. You know, I thought I was going to see a whole lot of that, and Rodgers really was not getting outside the pocket. Actually, he was taking quite a few sacks. Not necessarily his fault because the pressure was in his face, but he was taking a lot of sacks, not getting outside the pocket. And I'm thinking, well, was he just lying? Was he, <laughs> was he just lying about wanting to do that? But he said after the game that... Ron, you'd be able to elaborate on this more. He said that you want to he he the play call has to have a scramble opportunity within it. You know, like he cannot if it's if it's a certain play call that calls for him going one two three reads and then by the time he gets to number three the pass protection can't hold up he's getting sacked. There there has to be a play opportunity for where he's able to read and then get out of the pocket to find open guys. And it sounds like he really wasn't getting those play calls early on in this game.
1: And I think that's why, and I will elaborate on that Griff. I think that's why I think he was a little displeased with the game plan. I don't think he was displeased with the fact that they ran it that much early, but I think he had a problem with what I was saying about how they ran it in the third quarter ad nauseum and it cost them a lot of clock time. So I think mainly that was his issue. And he kind of, and I mentioned this to you, Griff, when you heard him talk after the game. A few things he said had me leaning in that direction. And then today, Von Miller talks about that fourth and one run up the middle that was stuffed. And Von said something along the lines of, you know, I don't want to start anything, but, you know, whatever. He had asked Aaron why they didn't throw the ball there. And, and then Von said, I'm not going to share what he said because I don't want to start anything. But I think Aaron was displeased with the fact that they weren't throwing the ball in some of those scenarios. And that, and you have to understand that, too, for Aaron. But part of the things he wants to do, the way this offense is constructed, the way these receivers have so much inexperience, he's not able to do. So when you talk about getting outside the pocket early and often, a lot of things go into that. You mentioned it, Griff. There has to be those opportunities to get outside the pocket and to scramble. Because when Rodgers, a lot of these play calls that we have in this offense, in the passing game, are very quick in rhythm throws. And most of the time, those were not not open, but those were, uh, those opportunities were available to hit. So Rodgers is hitting those. And like you said, Griff, he usually has to go one, two, three in these reads. So he's looking in these different directions. And by the time he may look to scramble or have an opportunity to scramble, the pass protection is not going to be able to hold up through three reads. It's just not that against that Bill's defense. And the way that they've been playing this year is just not good enough, right? So Rodgers, in order for these kind of things to happen... They almost have to be designed opportunities to scramble and look for... Then these receivers, right? Like He's going to have to look for them. They need to know what to do on any given play when there's a scramble scenario, when there's that kind of he's extending the play, and that's the drill, the scramble drill, and these guys need to know where to go. It, it, it can't always be this instinctual thing because he's not going to know where to go if these guys don't know where they're going or if Aaron's going to scramble out of the pocket. It's just so... It's, it's hard to... To do that when it's when it's not somewhat predetermined.
0: I I did appreciate the attempts at moving the pocket for Rogers, like on the Samari Torre touchdown, that was really nice, because we really only see that. It looked like, like a hail mary attempt, you know, the classic Jared Cook twenty sixteen against Dallas in the playoffs on the sidelines, where like Rodgers takes the snap, whole line is moving left and he rolls left. Like we saw that a couple times just on standard plays, including the uh, the Torre touchdown. That was really nice. Those, you know, manufactured rollouts, pretty much, I would call that. I'm sure there's a more form- formal term for that. But, um, yeah, I, I appreciated that. And a lot of this offense, I told you just before we started recording, Braun. this reminded me a lot of, if you remember the run the table year, 2016. I feel like we can run the table. I really do. That, that all started after a week 11 loss to the Washington football team in Washington. And that game, if you remember correctly, Aaron Rodgers, if I remember correctly, I should say, Aaron Rodgers played really well in that game. I think he had three touchdowns. He had that touchdown to Jordy where someone jumped out. I think it was Suha Cravens jumped at him and grabbed his face mask and he rolled out and threw a dart. He had a really good game that game. And that was coming off a three-game losing streak where Rodgers really didn't look very good. And then against Washington, he looked really good. He looked like an MVP, but the defense was so hot garbage that there was just no shot of winning that game. Then he says, I feel like we can run the table and we end up do running the table. And that is really reminiscent of this game, I feel like. I saw some real some real signs of improvement from the receivers, from Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, he said that <laughs> Tom Clements gave him his best game last week, but this week I think he's gonna reset that record because he played phenomenally. He looked like the MVP. He was making those special throws that I were t- uh, that I said last week just weren't there, you know, whether that's because of the opportunity or whatnot, but he was making those throws. He was making incredible big-time throws. So I feel like this is going to be a real turning point, even in a loss, because you saw at the end of the game, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Aaron Rodgers all on the bench sitting there laughing. And, you know, we, you watch the press conferences after. Matt LaFleur and Rodgers, neither of them are really, like, you know, the past three losses, they've been at the podium just, like, down on themselves, angry that they lost. But this week, it kind of felt like they went into it knowing that, you know, our, our shot of winning this game is not very high. The Bills have such a good roster and we're coming off a three-game losing streak. So I feel like next week against Detroit is really going to be the week where they put it all together. They score a lot of points, the defense plays well enough where we're not really worried about them. And I feel like that's when we get the run started. Rogers said after the game that it just it just takes one win. It's only going to take one win for the momentum to swing in our favor. And then once we get back to that level, once we we were 3 and 1 at one point this season, you know? We were 3 and 1. We looked like a top 5 team in the league still. We're not this bad. We're not as bad as we've looked. And so I think if, we, if we're able to get one win, if we're able to put together a competent game on offense and defense, I think that's going to do a lot.
1: All right, Griff, let's move on to this defense because there's a lot that went wrong. There was a lot of good too, I feel like, with Jair Alexander mostly. But um, there was some uncharacteristic bad play, and I kind of alluded to this early in the show. There are guys that just have not played well enough this year that I think Brian Gutekunst was heavily relying on being very good. I think Matt LaFleur, Joe Barry, these guys expected to play really well and just have not. Uh, you know whether and, and again, for better or for worse, they did that. Uh, whether you agree with the decision for them to rely on these guys, they did. Darnell Savage being one of them, and he has had his worst year of football in his NFL career with the Packers. The, and his game against the Bills, to me, was just almost like a last straw type of game. He just played so poorly. He looked terrible. It his was a hot clean dick
0: type of game, I would say.
1: And I hate I love haha and I hate to even put that kind of label on another guy, but he just did not play well. It's been it's been quite the quite the fall off from grace, if you will, for him because he came into the league and we had a lot of excitement and he played really well his rookie year, even his second year. Since then, it's just been a bad fit. I don't know what it's been. He's just struggled. And every time we think about trying to utilize his speed and get him back involved, he looks small out there. He looks weak out there. He's got speed, but a lot of the times he can't even utilize it because he's just not big enough. He can't tackle at a high level. And for some reason, it's just not working. I don't know what they're going to do at that position because it's it's costing them big time with some of these bigger plays. And, uh, again, Savage is one of them. There's other guys, but Griff, if you want to kind of add to what I'm talking about here it's just they, they need these guys to step up and in order for them, for us to be a, a defense that we expected like a top 5 level defense truly, we need to start playing a lot better football in a lot of these spots that we relied on being very very talented going into this year.
0: Darnell, you remember the days where we used to talk about how we want Darnell to be closer to the line of scrimmage and we think there's unlocked potential with him being like the Buda Baker type of player? Like, that is just, him anywhere near the ball right now is just a disaster. Like, we need to keep him 30 yards (laughs) at the Earl Thomas role, man. Because he just, he cannot fit the run to save his life. He can't do it. He doesn't do it, usually. And when he tries, it's a disaster. He can't tackle. And then he gets embarrassed in space a lot of the time, too. He, he's not really doing anything well right now. And it sucks because, you know this, Bron, Darnell Savage was my draft crush in 2019. He was my guy. I wanted him, man, coming out of Maryland. And <laughs> we trade up for him. I'm thinking he's going to be the best player of this generation. And it just hasn't been that, man. It hasn't been that. And you talk about a fall from grace, but he really, it, every year we're like waiting for the jump, you know, every year we're waiting for him to make that jump. And it just hasn't happened yet. And um, I think this is just a player that he is. And a lot of people are compla- comparing him to HaHa. And I think it's very similar because HaHa was another guy who showed some promise. And every year you thought he was going to be one of the best safeties in the league. But then it just it tapered off to a point where he was one of the worst starting safeties in the league, actually. Um, I don't know if that's where we're at with Darnell quite yet, but we're getting close to that, I'd say because he is bad, and my my concerns with the defense, we gave up some plays in the past game, but I think that's to be expected going up against this offense, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Josh Allen, you're going to give up some plays, it's just, it's going to happen against this team, but I'm more concerned about the run defense, which <laughs> a lot of people have been this season, and I've been kind of the guy who's been saying, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but... Like, man, it feels like we're giving up big runs just at the worst possible times this year. And a lot of that is because of Darnell Savage. Because when we go single high safety to stop the run, if Darnell's the safety that's in the box, he just doesn't even try to fit the run. He doesn't. And then he just whiffs on tackles constantly. His tackle attempt on Josh Allen was embarrassing. He does that a lot, but it's also guys like Dean Lowry who just gets washed off the ball immediately. It's also guys like Rashawn Gary who can't set the edge to save his life. And he had a he had a pretty poor game, I'd say. Um, I think he had seven run pressures, defense,
1: Griff, but his run defense has just continuously been a problem.
0: Yeah, and he he whiffed on some
1: tackles too. And he, you know what? He also should. He's he's made to be this fast guy who can chase down a guy like a Josh Allen. He looked very slow in that game compared to the. Quarterback. Oh, there was
0: a couple times where Josh Allen breaks contain. And Gary just looks like a different, like he like he's in a different league, man. Josh Allen, I hate Josh Allen. Great player, but I never want to play this guy again. Jesus, dude. Oh my God, it was so frustrating. Someone said that this must have been what it's like to play Rodgers in 2014. And God, I'm I'm sorry to the Vikings fans out there it is so annoying. You, you get pressure and you're thinking, yes, we got him! We sacked him! And then he gets out and you just know someone's wide open and then he flicks it and it's a 40-yard gain. God, that does not get more annoying. But, like, like I said, that's gonna happen against this type of team. The run defense I'm more concerned about. And you know what? I thought the second half defense, so we lose both our linebackers in this game, which we haven't mentioned. Devondre Campbell, who was really struggling in this game, he uh, gets a knee injury. Matt LaFleur said it's not a long-term concern, so that's good. But he did exit the game in the first half, never returned. Quay Walker pushes a coach on the sidelines, gets ejected. Apparently Griffith
1: was not a coach, which they said Yeah, later I didn't think it broadcast. was a coach. I didn't know who it was, though. What'd you say? Apparently it was not a coach, Griffith. They said later in the broadcast that it was a practice squad tight end, which made everybody else even more upset about the fact that he was ejected for that.
0: Ah, okay. I didn't think it was a coach because he just didn't look like a coach. But I didn't know who would be on the sideline, Waterboy. But okay, practice squad, tight end. Nice, yeah.
1: I don't know if that's ejection worthy. No, of course it's not ejection worthy, especially when you find out the guy's a player. Like, they made it seem like Quay Walker shoved a homeless man on the sideline. Like, he, he shoved <laughs> the, the player. homeless
0: blind man.
1: <laughs> yeah, he shoved the player. I mean, he, he didn't shove he didn't shove your grandmother. He did shove a player. Like he's another guy that, you know, he's a guy that plays in this league too. Just not you know not as good because he's not on the field. He's not even on the on the <laughs> roster. But whatever. I mean, it sucked. I guess you and Matt Lafleur did a good job letting him know. You know, it's always the second guy rookie mistake. You when you rely on rookies that you draft in the first round. On defense, you live with that because that's what you sign up for when you draft rookies in the first round and play them at those high marquee spots. And they refuse to do that on offense, but they still put other rookies in there anyway, and sometimes undrafted free agents too. Anyway,
0: <laughs> yeah. So Quay goes out first. Then we see Isaiah McDuffie come in. That's oh boy, it's going to be a, and long a, sigh run. <laughs> a sigh of relief. Sigh of relief. then Devondre goes out so we've got Eric Wilson coming in and on his first play in the game he gets called for a holding penalty Chris Collinsworth did you hear Chris Collinsworth he was like you might be able to get away with that on special teams but uh not out here (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I was like it's gonna be a long night but you know what I really didn't notice them in the second half at all because the the defense they played well they held the bills to three points in the second half two terrible Josh Allen picks were thrown that helped things but yeah, the defense played well. They, they forced a punt when they had to late in that game. I mean, the Bills were up, I think, 10 at that point, so it didn't really matter. But, you know, the Bills didn't score 30 points, and I bet a lot of people would have bet money on the Bills scoring 30 points. And the Packers also covered the 10-point spread,
1: 10.5-point spread, so good for them. Yippee! Um, anyway. Uh, good teams win, we, yeah. great teams cover. Bron. Oh, good news, Griff. Anyway. Yeah, great, do great teams cover when they're when they're down 10.5 on the spread? Because that's not, you know, that's we we, beat, we we only lost by 10, so it's not like... Look, I'm just know.
0: telling you what they say.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm telling you what I say here. I thought Josh Allen played a really good game in the first half, and then I thought we made really good defensive plays with, first of all, Jair Alexander, after having a bad week against Terry McLaurin, he shut down Gabe Davis for the entire game, and he did not allow a single catch. He was targeted five times, had three pass breakups. What a game. What a rebound game. He didn't really get much action with Stephon Diggs, who was jarring with him the whole game. As you know, it was very mutual. They they were barking at each other. Even Gabe Davis, like, they Jair was giving it to him, and they were getting locked And I love that down. energy, man. I love it, too. I love, love too. that
0: Jair, man.
1: There's nothing better when he gets on an island and he gets to talk his talk against these top guys in the league, and both of those guys are very, very good, especially Diggs, and he is just strapping these guys up. So um, that's the kind of that's what you want. Jair needs to be in that environment because he rises to that occasion, as we see. You know, he didn't get that same level of animosity towards Terry, right? But when he's re- you know when he's really feeling that confidence and he's barking at these dudes and he's going out there and strapping them up like he did. There's no, there's nobody better in the league than him, and we saw that, and again, moving forward, we got to play him like he is the top dog at that position in the league, and we should focus on giving him more opportunities against these guys, singling him up, even if you have to, see, I would get more creative. You would, you just think about it. Like, the way we use Devontae Adams on offense in these past several years that he was with Green Bay, move him in the slot, move him on the outside, this and that put him in motion. Why are they so willing to do that on offense, but it's impossible to have Jair travel with a player, even if you just run him man against one particular player. How creative would a concept that be? You know, this is I don't know if anybody in the league is doing this, but when you have one guy traveling with a specific receiver and then whatever else, right? Even let Jair run man the entire game and then even have those zone concepts in the in the play call but keep Jair running man, and then have everybody else run his zone, and those kind of things, those, those types of things, the creativity, it's just not there on defense, very vanilla, and, you know, reports are coming out about players being unhappy with the game plans, not confident in the plays that we've got running out there, and just the overall scheme in general, there's just a lack of confidence, apparently, that's, you know, what they've said over at ESPN, which, again, can't always rely on them, but those are the things being said publicly by people that are supposed to be reliable, that makes you start to question some things, Griff.
0: Joe Barry's a hard guy to talk on because I really have no idea what his players think of him. You know, we we know that guys love Matt LaFleur. We've heard a lot of guys come out and say they love Matt LaFleur. But can you think of an example of any of these defenders coming out and praising Joe Barry? Because I can think of Devondre saying that last year, that a lot of his success was due to Joe Barry allowing him to just play freely. But I don't know. Am I missing something here? I don't, I don't think any, any of these guys have really come out in support of Joe Barry.
1: I know that Preston Smith and Joe Barry have a strong relationship dating back to his days with Washington, right? So he's a guy that has sung his praises for a while. But and basically with the way that he's being used, and he's playing really, really well. He is one of the stronger players on this defense from this year so far, especially against the run. We always talk about how talented he is in that department. Probably the best in football in terms of defending the run at that outside linebacker position. But other than that, I mean, even think about the guys that we had on these teams from 2019 with Mike Pettin, right? Like, Zadarius loved Mike Pettin, and now he's in Minnesota with him. A lot of those guys liked Mike Pettin, and but you don't hear guys coming and saying, Joe Barry is this great defensive mind. And even think about the things that have happened, right? Basically, he's had to be pressured into doing the things that we have done well. Having Jair travel with, with these guys in coverage, which has been happening, I think it happened twice, two weeks, and then we didn't do it as much against the Bills because they didn't want to play the Bills that way and Josh Allen that way.
0: Yeah, and also I think it's because Jair struggled against Terry and maybe he got spooked out of that. I hope not. That's what because... we, and
1: Griff, that's what we said we were afraid was going to happen if he, and I was yes. like, don't let, we don't want that to spook him out of it and then happy Halloween, he got terrified and now he's out, so... <laughs> I mean, like, come on, man. Like, why is he Why is he shifting from that? Why is he being so reactive? That's Jair Alexander. Trust that he's going to get it right. And you can go back to the Vikings
0: game week one, where Jair in, at his locker after the game is talking about how he wanted to shadow Justin Jefferson. Like, that's not a question for me. Don't talk to me about why I didn't do that. You remember that, Bron?
1: Yeah, right. And it's like, he has to be pressured by people... Like basically trying to force him to do these things that me and you have been saying for over a year with him, and many other people have been saying, and it's very key and very obvious to the observer. But for some reason they can... And this was the same thing with Mike Pettin when they weren't running enough man coverage and then he makes a stupid... It's like in the NFC Championship game. And then like he, with Joe Barry, it's like they're running zone 90% of the game or whatever. And then like we're like, why, don't you, why are you giving them a 10-yard cushion on third and two? It's like... And these are the things... That, why are we able to notice this? But yet this guy who coaches at this level... And he has a lot under his belt. He's done so much great things in this league, including 1-0 and 16-team-led defense. He's done a lot of great things. <laughs> he games. led the Owen 16 Lions. He's done a lot no, of Ron, great we things, played, Griff.
0: I got the numbers here. Jair was in man coverage 23.5% of snaps.
1: That's not enough, folks. Think about that. No, that's, that's not, not enough. enough. And
0: this is this is coming off the last two weeks where he was over 45%. And why? We because thought things he, had changed. We thought things had changed. And then we get it, we go up against Stephon Diggs. So you don't trust Jair. Come on, man. I mean, man. come on. Come and then on.
1: look what happened. He burned us on many occasions. And look... I mean, I hope they learn from this, but it's almost getting too late to start learning because the test is tomorrow, folks. I mean, we don't have any more time to keep learning these things. You can only study so (laughs) much. The test is tomorrow. Eventually, you got to have this stuff in your head or you're going (laughs) to fail the exam. You are going to fail the exam. (laughs) And we are like one or two losses away from officially... Getting effed out of the class. That's all I can say.
0: Jair did play really well. He played a really fantastic game, and it makes you wish yeah, he that did. he played up. He played against Stephon Diggs, so he could have gotten that that moral victory over Stephon,
1: who Not I told you would last night. Not only it Griff, won. Griff, that changes the game, Griff. If he is, if he is running man coverage against Stephon Diggs, do we really think he's going to be beating Jair deep consistently and scoring multiple touchdowns? I don't think so. I really don't. No. And then you're talking about we have a real chance to win this game two things have to change you put Jair on Stefan Diggs from the beginning and then you run the ball really well in the first half even into the second half in the third quarter but when it's late in the third quarter, if they do still get down in this scenario by multiple scores, throw the football a little more and let Aaron do the things that he really started doing well but by the time he started doing them well it was too late. you give the you give the chance to, to try to win the football game but again, if if Jair is on Stefan Diggs, maybe the Bills' offense can't get things going like they did. Maybe they don't have twenty-seven points, and maybe we don't have to even get away from the run. Maybe we could run it forty times and win the game. Those are the <laughs> things that are we are we, they're they're painfully obvious to us. Apparently not to the coaching staff, and it's very concerning because if we're seeing it and they're not seeing these things, and they're making the the wrong decisions, getting scared, playing scared, game planning scared. It's a struggle out there for us, and and we're gonna continue to struggle if it continues to be this way from a coaching standpoint.
0: Yeah, and we saw a lot of playing ten yards off the line of scrimmage, which I think that I don't know. I I'm not as mad about that this week as I was about the same thing against the Giants because that's no, how most yeah. teams are gonna play Buffalo this year. But um, it it's in hindsight, of course, it's like, come on, man, just trust your guys.
1: Let them go. I was out just there, gonna say, Griff. You don't trust you. Jair, then that's—I mean—that's on you because we saw what he—he he almost had to prove the coaches wrong, and he did. So, yeah, you have to trust your guys, and especially when it's a guy who's an All-Pro, you got to go out and trust them, and they didn't, and it cost them. They're playing scared by that. Go and go and let him do it, and then guess what? If Jair gets burned by Stefan Diggs on the first play, and you want to go back to it, then go ahead. But that wasn't going to happen, and. It didn't even happen against Terry, you know? It took a late, late, deep shot to the corner. He was that,
0: locked up on Terry, man. He that's was what locked I'm saying.
1: Up. Taylor Heineke he was dropping throws, dimes right? and then threw a prayer. Right, until those few throws that got in. Jair didn't have his best game, but he certainly, you know, like I said, you make a lot of great plays at corner and you go unnoticed, right? Or you just don't get targeted because you're covering a guy well, but those few plays change the game of, of how, and not only how you're perceived, but how you play. And that happened to Jair last week, but... I was never in favor of. Now we don't put him man on man because he had a couple catches from t- Taylor Heineke and, and Terry McLaurin. I mean, come on, like that's it's very silly. It's immature, and that's I mean, like what are we doing? What are we doing? From, yeah, like, from a Mc- standpoint, yeah, and McLaurin's not a scrub either.
0: McLaurin, no, that he is he a to top catch on 15 Stephon receiver in this league in crunch time. Yeah,
1: top. It's a, that's a top receiver in this league, and I get you know you're a little scared to to play the Bills, right? But we have, like, we have strengths on defense, and they just chose not to try to lean on those, and as a result, you're going to let the Bills do what they did, and they played scared, and I guess it was to celebrate Halloween, because, again, they sure did scare me. We are sitting here 3-5. and five. A lot of mistakes go into that record, but it, you, you have to blame somebody, and I'm not blaming Aaron Rodgers, because that's the easy, illogical unintelligent thing to do. I'm going to look to the guys that assembled this roster and look at Aaron playing extremely well, right? Oh, Aaron's the problem. He's not playing well. Well, Aaron just played like the MVP again, and we lost by 10 points. What do you want me to do? I don't know. And I'm we also we ran thing. it
0: 30 times and we still lost. Yeah. That's another hey, victory we time.
1: ran the ball. We ran it. <laughs> we ran it. Scream it this On week because maybe... We lost by ten again. I mean, like, what do you want? And now, is it still Aaron's fault, folks? I don't know what to say anymore because, <laughs> I, I we watched Aaron go play some of his best football, and he didn't get many opportunities to even do that. Right? He only did. He he had about what, maybe twenty chances to actually use his arm, and how many they attempts did lost he have? By 10. Not many. I don't know, but he lost. We lost by ten. And we ran the ball 30 times. I don't care about how good the Bills are or whatever. We had a very clear chance to beat them, in my opinion, based on the way we played. And I don't think they're as scary as people think. I think we could have beaten them. And the way that we game-planned, the way that we executed some things, there's there's a few things that if they, if they changed those things, I feel like we would have won that game or at least had a much better shot uh, to keep it much closer than it was, because for the majority of the game we were down by three scores, and that 's inexcusable because I think we would be in position to win that game if the things I ch- the things I said we needed to change were done.
0: Well after this game, I mean, we played probably I would call this our best offensive game of the season, I think if when you go four quarters, I think it was, even though we only scored seventeen points you know we we failed on two fourth and shorts, which fourth down that 's a whole nother conversation we 're two of eleven. On the season on fourth down. I it mean, seems like Matt
1: LaFleur really digs in his bag and finds the worst play call on every single <laughs> crucial play. In it's the hard
0: to go two for eleven on fourth down. Especially when they're all fourth and ones and fourth and threes, like, oh my god, man.
1: <laughs> uh sometimes you gotta just sit back and laugh. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean it's starting to get ridiculous. Uh, Starting to get ridiculous, folks. Two for 11.
0: So if they if they convert those two fourth downs, which is a big if with this offense, um, they probably score more points. And, you know, they were moving the ball well. They had almost 400 yards of offense. I was pleased with their performance. Rodgers played his best game of the season, like we said. Defense, we're going to worry about them, but not too much because they're not going to play the best offense in the league every week. So they're going to get better. The offense is already getting better. And I think we're going to win this week against Detroit. Can I say that? Is that a hot take? I think
1: we're going to beat the Lions this week. All right, well, Griff, let's talk about something that a lot of people want to talk about, and we're going to just get to it here now, and that's the trade deadline, because that's coming on Tuesday evening before we even get to uh, this Detroit Lions game. Um, But if we go based on previous years, the conversations that are being had, the things that are being said, we can probably, and we're recording this on a Monday night here, so we can probably make a safe assumption and just assume that they did not make a trade for a wide receiver. Maybe even traded one of our best players. We're not going to assume that, but that's <laughs> probably a little did. more likely. Maybe they did, <laughs> but we're going to just pretend like they what we expect they did not add a receiver. Now Griff, what was your reaction to Brian Gutekunst not making a move at the trade deadline?
0: Oh my god, Brian. Oh my Come god. Come on, Brian. Brian. And, and Claypool got dealt for a fifth. You couldn't do that, Brian? <laughs> Come on, Brian, what are you doing? So just to clarify, I, if if Chase Claypool is actually dealt for a fifth-round pick, then I'm a prophet because that has not happened yet in the, the real timeline. But in reality, yeah, Brian Goodigan probably not going to make a trade because he typically does not. And the media typically gets all of our hopes up and plays with us because we've got Bill Huber reporting that he's has he has two sources telling him that we are going to make a move. There's a video of Mark Murphy allegedly saying something about Tuesday we're going to add someone – None of this is real, folks, and by the time you're listening to this, you know that I'm right about none of this being real because the Packers do not make moves, especially in the season.
1: And, hey, if it backfires on us and we did make a move, there's a lot worse things in the world than that. So, But we're going to keep I would love to be wrong his. about that. Believe. Yeah, that's something. we Like, I, I say this every week. We would love to be wrong on some of these things we say, but it kind of sucks when we come out here and we're right, especially like, oh, let's have Aaron get outside the pocket and I want to see him extend plays more. And then like he does that and has a lot of success in the fourth quarter. And it's like, well, we should have done that earlier. Like I, Sometimes you hate being right as a fan. But, I mean, we would love to be wrong Suffering here, definitely. from success. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, de- it depends on the wide receiver for me, really, because I don't think a
0: guy like Brandon Cooks is going to change a whole lot with this offense. I don't think a guy like Elijah Moore is going to change things. But if you're talking about a receiver like Jerry Judy, who most likely isn't even available, or DJ Moore... Or Chase Claypool, I think. I think those guys are going to be difference makers. And if they end up being dealt for something that, like, a, even a second round pick for Jerry Judy, I would do. Um, but if they, if they end up getting dealt for a price that I thought is fair, I'm going to be really upset if that happens. But if they end up don't getting dealt and... They find, we find out that the Steelers wanted a first round pick for Chase Claypool, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's ridiculous. So it really all depends, and <laughs> this is tough because we're trying to like predict what's gonna happen and
1: measure our anger based on these uh, these predictions. I, you know, people, man, fans might even be just like, okay, we didn't trade for a receiver, so like, what am I listening to this for? But I think, like you mentioned, some of those guys make sense for Green Bay because they're on rookie deals and they can even extend them, you know, that's the, that's the kind of thing, like, I don't think they want a rental. That's, you know, of all the conversations that you hear, I don't think they, I really don't think they want a guy that you're renting. I feel like Brandon Cooks is probably a rental. So as much as I feel like I think he would be a difference maker because he's been a number one receiver on, on a lot of teams with a lot of different guys. And I think he could probably adapt quickly. Plus he's had a thousand yards the past two seasons. I feel like that's reliable. Um, he's played with good quarterbacks, too. He's played with Breeze and Brady. And he's played with bad quarterbacks as well. So, in case Rodgers gets hurt and Jordan Love has to come in. <laughs> oh,
0: that was too easy, man.
1: <laughs> oh, but, no, I, I do think he's a very adaptable type receiver, and he could probably come in if he was to get traded to Green Bay tomorrow, on a, uh, so t- on a Tuesday. I feel like he could probably come in and play this coming Sunday against Detroit. And we would like to see that, but if it, you know whoever, if it's a player that we do trade for, um, and he is a quality guy that's going to make a difference, that would be a very pleasant surprise. But if it doesn't happen, again, this isn't you know this isn't great, then it's probably not going to happen. But there is the possibility of a guy like OBJ coming to Green Bay at some point. How real is that possibility? We're not going to be sure until we really know when his timeline is and when things start heating up for him trying to sign with the team. But until you know, until something like that happens, it's got to be the right guy, and it, it needs to be. Of course, we don't want to overpay, I guess, but I do think I I would not mind giving up. Maybe not a first next year, but maybe a first the year after that. If if it if to get a guy like D J Moore or Jerry Judy, I don't think I'd do that for Chase Claypool. But if we're gonna go and get a guy that can really make a difference and try to win this year, which I feel like I'd like to win, I don't know about the front office, but I feel like. If we can go and get a guy that can make a difference and not have to completely overpay, I would do it. And, and for some reason, they continuously prove that they don't want to do these moves, but I think it makes a lot of sense, and it would, it would help our offense for sure.
0: We really couldn't have gotten two first-round picks for Adams. Imagine if we had the Raiders' first-round pick
1: this year. It's like a top-five pick. How did they not get two first-round picks? Wow. How? Well, and they, I get that they wanted to maybe try to... See, the, the thing that was going around when that happened when that happened was they want to try to replace him quickly and then they did what they got christian watson quay right? walker quay walker but they didn't even maker. use one of their two first round picks on a receiver and it's like why don't they maybe if they want to really try to replace him go trade you you have two first round picks so go trade up and get one of these top guys but no they instead didn't do that and here we are again because they replaced Devonte adams with practically nothing why do they just neglect the position it doesn't make sense and again, it's just its such a bummer that they're not going to go and make a move. They're not making a move at the deadline. It's just a bummer. It's like, are they really trying to win? Can they see that this is the biggest issue? Can they see that these teams that have won the Super Bowl, even gotten to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs, the Bengals, they both have tons of talent at receiver. Even the Chiefs now, they go and make a move for Kadarius Toney when they had Travis Kelsey as their number one pass catcher after losing Tyreek Hill. Then they signed MVS. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster. They completely did everything they could. They have Nicole Hardman. They still
0: have Nicole Hardman.
1: Exactly. These guys are speedy. They're fast. They all can get downfield. We don't have anybody that can do that apart from Christian Watson in terms of getting downfield quickly at a high, high speed that he's one of the fastest type players in the league. We don't have anybody that can really do that consistently. And it's just like they neglect the position. Tampa Bay has elite receivers every year and they still do. And it's like... These teams that get to the Super Bowl and and compete at a high level, even the Rams, it's like they had Cooper Cup, OBJ, Robert Woods, Allen Robinson they went and signed, Van Jefferson they drafted, and we don't draft receivers well whatsoever. So it's like we just have nothing at the position. We're probably paying the least salary of any team in the league, maybe apart from Chicago, to the receivers and and that position group in general. We're probably not paying more than $12 million to that entire group. And that's just a rough guess, but like, it's ridiculous and and I will never understand it. And it's one of those things that when you look back and, and if we don't get another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be that neglect that many should look back on and say, wow, what were they thinking?
0: And this year is going to be the highlight year, assuming we don't win the Super Bowl this season, which isn't out of question. But if we don't win the Super Bowl this season and let's say Aaron doesn't get another ring, this is going to be the year that everyone brings up when they talk about that. Because the year they traded Devontae Adams, they had months and months of off season to prepare for life after Devontae. and their answer was two rookies, three rookies, and Sammy Watkins. Ah, uh, yeah. Are we ready to wrap it up here, Bron? I would like to end it on a little happier note, but there's not much to be happy about. So, no. I mean, four game losing streak. You know what's to, there? There is to be happy about. Um, the Packers. They're going to turn it around here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk more in the future about. What we talked about last night, Bron, which is the overall playoff picture and how things aren't as bad as they may seem right now, especially if we get a win this week because all it takes is one win to turn this thing around, and we're going to be feeling better about it. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow the podcast on Instagram, at Today in Titletown. Rate the show five stars on Instagram or iTunes and Spotify. You can leave a review on iTunes. Send us feedback in the DMs. Um, Follow me on Instagram, at AllDayPackers. Follow Bron on Instagram, at Leapers. And make sure to uh, tune in later this week, where we will have a preview podcast for the Detroit Lions coming up next Sunday. The one in one in six Detroit, one in five—I don't know—they've they've got one win. The one win Lions we will be playing in Detroit, so that's going to be a fun one to turn the season around. Hopefully, make sure to turn on the notifications so you can listen to that as soon as it comes out. And thank you so much for listening. Go pack, go! Is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's always Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Did you just question
1: if you were going to say Go Pack Go? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm thinking about switching up the mojo. This team stinks. I'm going to say it because no ma- when a loser tie, got to say it. Thank you for listening as I bleed as green always. and yellow. We bleed green and gold, baby. Thank you so much. <laughs> go Pack Go.